Well, what a wonderful Lord's Day we are having so far. It's wonderful for many reasons. First, it's a wonderful day because it is the Lord's Day. It is a day when Christians come together to worship God and give Him the glory. It's also a wonderful day because for the first time in a, about a year and a half, I can preach and see your faces. I'm so thankful for that. I miss that. I miss that. And it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to preach and see beautiful faces today. And it's also a wonderful day because two precious souls obeyed the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They had their sins washed away by the blood of the Lamb and the angels of God rejoiced today. And we should rejoice with the angels. And we're just so thankful for those two wonderful people who humbled themselves before God, obeyed his gospel. And they're Christians. They're part of our family now. They're part of the kingdom of God. May God bless them. May God, may God be with them. In 1 Kings chapter 2, in verse number 1, in 1 Kings 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. I want you to notice carefully what's going on there in those verses. I want you to notice carefully how there in those verses, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, the man who would certainly be included in a Mount Rushmore list of Bible characters, the great and the mighty and the powerful King David, he's dying. He is passing away. He has reached the end of his life. He's about to depart very soon and go and be in the blessed comfort of the Lord. But before he does that, notice how he has some things to say to his son. He has some things to say to Solomon. He has some things to say to the heir of his throne. He tells him, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. What do you think David means when he uses that language? What do you think he means when he says, be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man? What do you think showing yourself a man involves? I mean, how should a male behave in such a way that he shows himself to be a man? I think that that is an important question for us to consider, especially in the culture we're living in today. I mean, living in a culture where for so many people, they no longer feel that having a man in the home is important. Living in a society where many people feel that a child being raised by two married women is just as good as a child being raised by a husband and a wife. Living in a, in a time where so many people seem to be confused about gender, gender identity. I think it is important that we carefully consider what David says in this verse. I think it is important that we carefully consider what makes a man a man. Specifically, I think it is important that we carefully consider what God says makes a man a man. What does God say about manhood in the Bible? What does God say makes a man a real man according to the Bible? What kind, of, what kind of characteristics should our sons aspire to? 
What kind of traits should we want our daughters to be looking for in the men that they're one day going to marry? What kind of things did David have in mind when he told his son Solomon to be strong, therefore? And show yourself a man. Brothers and sisters, I believe that that's a very timely question for us to consider this morning. I mean, on a day when men, particularly fathers, are being celebrated by people in our society, I think it is important that we open up our Bibles and for just a few minutes rehearse God's blueprint for men and manhood. I think it is important that we look at some things that our society may deem as dull and insignificant, but, but God says they're important. God says they're, they're, they're vital. God says that they're absolutely essential to a man becoming the kind of man that he has called him to be. And so the question this morning is very simple. How do we step up and be the kind of men that pleases the Lord at the highest level? How do we be real men, men who please the Lord? Well, the first thing that a man has to do if he's going to be a man that pleases God, if he's going to be a real man in the eyes of God, is number one, he's got to love God. He's got to love God. You see, a man can never be considered a real man in the eyes of God if he doesn't first love God. If he doesn't first love Jesus, if he doesn't first strive to nurture a relationship with Jesus. It doesn't matter if, if, if he's a male biologically. It doesn't matter if he can run a company that maybe can generate billions and billions of dollars like Jeff Bezos or, or Mark Zuckerberg. It doesn't matter if people think he's a tough guy like The Rock or Clint Eastwood or, or John Wayne. It doesn't even matter if he's able to work in 118 degree weather doing things like yard work and landscaping. And if he has big broad shoulders and big muscles and if he's six foot five and he likes to hunt and camp and fish and if he even can dunk a basketball like like LeBron James or throw a football like Tom Brady. Let me tell you something. A man, a man can do all that kind of stuff and he can still not be a real man. He can still not be a real man in the eyes of God. The Bible emphasizes this to us in several places, particularly in the Old Testament. In 1 Samuel chapter 9, and verse 2, in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and verse number 2, we learn about a man named Kish who had a son. And his son's name was Saul. And Saul was a choice and handsome man. And there was not a more handsome person than he. Among all the sons of Israel, from his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. Notice how when it comes to the first king of Israel, you know this man, Saul. Notice how when it came to King Saul, the Bible describes him as a man who looked the part. The Bible describes him as someone who looked physically, exactly how the people expected a king to look. The Bible says he was tall and he was handsome and he had a very dominating presence. He had all of the physical attributes that people in the world admire. But when we continue reading his story in 1 Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, what do we learn about him? 
Well, we learned that even though he had all of the physical attributes that a lot of people admired and respected, he wasn't a real man. He wasn't a real man in the eyes of God. He may have been tall and he may have been handsome and he may have been powerful and he may have had every physical characteristic that people admired and liked, but he still lacked an important godly qualities like character and integrity and self-control and humility and trust in God and a willingness to fully submit to the will of God. Saul looked the part on the outside, but on the inside, he was corrupt. On the inside, he was not a real man in the eyes of the Lord, and neither was this other person we read about in 2 Samuel chapter 14, named Absalom. Do you remember Absalom? You, you remember the story of Absalom? Remember what the Bible tells us about Absalom? Remember Absalom, like Solomon, was one of the sons of King David. Absalom was actually one of the sons that David had with his wife, Maka. You see, Absalom was also a very handsome man. He was a very handsome man, and he had a good reputation among the people. He was highly praised, and from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defects in this man. This man was a very beautiful man to the people of Israel, but also like Saul, he was a very corrupt man. He was a very wicked man. He was an immoral man. He was a jealous man. In fact, he was so jealous of his own father, David, that he actually tried to steal away his father's kingdom by igniting a civil war among God's people. Despite his physical appearance, he wasn't a real man. He wasn't a real man in the eyes of of God, he was corrupt and ugly on the inside, even though he may have been beautiful on the outside. He was not a real man before the Lord, and neither was this man that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 12. You remember this, this man Jesus talks about in this parable found in Luke 12, verses 16 through 21? Remember here in Luke chapter 12, Jesus describes a man who may not have been tall, and strong and very handsome, but he did have something that a lot of people in our culture judge manhood by, and that's money, right? That's possessions, that's, that's wealth, that's having a, a lot of property. In Luke chapter 12 and verse number 16, the Bible says that our Lord Jesus told a parable. And he says the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, God's going to talk to this man. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you've prepared? So it's the man who stores up treasure for himself, and he's not rich toward God. Notice how, despite the enormous wealth that this man possessed, 
despite the fact that he was a very successful farmer or businessman, despite the fact that he had many goods stored up to enjoy a wonderful life in retirement. Despite all those things, Jesus says that this man was not considered a real man in the eyes of God. This man was not considered to be truly successful in the eyes of God. In fact, on the very night he died unexpectedly, what did God call him? Well, God called him a fool. God called this man a fool because while he might have been rich by the standards of the world, he was very poor in his eyes. He was not rich in his eyes. He wasn't prepared to die on the night in which his soul was required because he didn't spend his life putting God first, trying to nurture a relationship with the Lord. What I just want you to see is why our culture, while our culture judges manhood by the stature of a man and the wealth of a man and even the hobbies of a man, God judges manhood by a very different standard. God judges manhood not by a man's physical appearance or by how big his bank account is or by whether or not he likes to hunt and fish and watch all kinds of sports. Instead, God's standard for manhood involves looking first and foremost at a man's heart. It involves looking at his character. It involves looking at his morals. It involves looking at his integrity and whether or not he truly if, if he truly loves the Lord. Those are the kind of qualities that are absolutely necessary for a man to be a real man in the eyes of God. And we should have saw that in our scripture reading this morning. I'm going to take you back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel 16 is a very important chapter in the book of Samuel. Here we see that after God rejected Saul, after God rejected him as the king, he then sent his prophet Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse. And Jesse had a bunch of sons, and God told Samuel that from among Jesse's sons, I'm going to pick the next king. I'm going to pick the next man who's going to be my man, a man after my heart. He's going to lead my people. And so Samuel makes his way to Jesse's house, and, and he has Jesse line up most of his sons. It's seven sons there. And Samuel starts with the first one, Eliab, and he looks at Eliab, and Eliab looks the part. He looks like a real man. He looks like he's going to be the next king of Israel. And God says this to him. God says, do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. Eliab's not going to be the next king for God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The Lord looks at the heart. God says, I don't care about how the man looks on the outside. I care about his heart. I care about his integrity. I care about his character. Eliab does not have the kind of character I'm looking for. You're making the same mistake you, that you made with Saul. I need a man to lead my people who has a heart for me. That's going to be David. David is the man after God's own heart. In fact, when it came to David, notice again what he said to Solomon. We're going to put verse 3 with it this time. 
After he told Solomon, be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man, he said, keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Notice how David tells his son that if you want to show yourself to be a man, if you want to be a real man, if you want to be truly successful in your life, if you want to be somebody who has God's favor at all times, then you need to make sure that you seek to walk in the ways of God. You need to make sure that you strive to keep God's statutes and commandments. You need to make sure that you strive to learn about God and know God and understand God and make sure you do exactly what God tells you to do in your life. That's what David told Solomon he needed to do. If he was going to be a real man, and I got to ask the question this morning, do we have men like that here in this place? Do we have real men, real men, not just males, but do we have real men here in this place? Do we have real men who are not just great outdoorsmen? But more importantly, they love God. They love Jesus. They're constantly trying to, to nurture a relationship with Jesus. Do we have real men here who don't just have a manly physique, but they have hearts for Jesus? They have hearts like Jesus. They have hearts that are pure and humble and full of integrity. Do we have men here who read their Bibles every single day so they can learn more about Jesus? Do we have men who strive to, to pray every day like Jesus? Do we have men here who may can't tell you everything that's going on in the NBA playoffs right now, but they can tell you a lot about Jesus? They can tell you a lot about the miracles of Jesus. They can tell you a lot about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They can tell you a lot about righteous living and why you need to make Jesus the focal point of your life. Do we have men, real men, who do those kinds of things? I believe that we do. I believe that we have real men here in this place. I believe that we have men who love God. And they love his son, Jesus Christ. Loving the Lord is absolutely essential for man. It's going to be a real man in the eyes of God. But not only must a man love God if he's going to be a real man. A second thing he also has to do is he's got to love his family. He's got to love God and he also has to love his family. He's got to seek to do everything for his wife and for his kids that the Lord has commanded him to do. Practically speaking, this means that a real man, a real man never leaves his family. He never leaves his family. He never abandons his family. He never runs away from his responsibilities and creates a fatherless home. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the Lord, when talking about his people, he says, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. God never leaves his people. And a real man also he never leaves his people. He never leaves his family. He never leaves his wife. He never leaves his children. He never leaves it to others to take care of his responsibilities. 
He never leaves the other to take care of his financial responsibilities. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says that if a man does not provide for his own, he's worse than a what? He's worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. A real man lives by that verse. A real man works hard on a job to take care of his family. He works hard to provide financial security for his family. He makes sure that his family has the essential things they need to survive. He doesn't abuse his family. He doesn't abuse them physically or emotionally. He doesn't cowardly put his hands on his wife. He doesn't beat his wife. He doesn't manipulate and twist the scriptures to make his wife feel like some sort of slave. He doesn't make her feel unloved and, and like trash. He doesn't intentionally hurt her and try to bring her down. Instead, you know what a real man does? He nurtures his wife. He gently cares for his wife. He seeks to understand his wife, and he's sensitive to, to her needs. Isn't that what Peter says in, in 1 Peter? Look in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 3, the great apostle. The great apostle Peter, a man who was married. Peter was married. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, and in verse number 7, what did the apostle say? He says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. we got to seek to understand our wives as with someone weaker. Since she is a woman, and show her honor. Every man should have that word honor underlined in their Bible. Show your wife honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. A real man, he lives by that verse. A real man may not be perfect. He makes mistakes in his life, but he does his best to live by the Bible. He does his best to treat his wife right. He shows her honor. He treats her with respect and dignity. He understands that if he doesn't treat her right, his prayers to God will be hindered. He doesn't hurt his wife. He doesn't neglect his wife. And you know who else he doesn't neglect? He doesn't neglect his children. He doesn't get so wrapped up in his hobbies or his career, that he neglects spending time with his children and doing for his children the kind of things that God expects him to do for them. Stuff like what you find in Ephesians 6, the practical portion of Ephesians. What did God say to the fathers here? Here's a Father's Day verse for you right here. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. God says, fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but you bring them up. You bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Notice how if I'm going to be a real man, if I'm going to be a real man in the eyes of God, then I just can't be a male in the home. I can't just be someone who works on a job and provides money for my family. I can't be someone who plops down on the couch every night and watches all kinds of TV for several hours while my wife does all the raising. No sir and no ma'am, I can't be that kind of man. I can't be that kind of man if I'm gonna please God. Instead, if I'm gonna be a real man in the eyes of God, I gotta be the leader. I gotta be the leader of my family. I gotta understand that God made me as a man to lead. God made me to lead. I'm the leader of the family. And that means 
that I'm going to have to turn that game off. And I'm going to have to make sure I spend time with my kids. I'm going to have to make sure I'm deeply involved in my kids' lives. I'm going to have to make sure that I make time to answer their Bible questions and talk with them about God and do daily Bible reading with them and pray with them and teach them how to pray. I'm also going to have to make sure I know who their friends are and who they're hanging out with and what kind of music are they listening to, what kind of movies are they watching. And I'm especially going to have to be plugged in to their Internet activity. I'm going to have to do what Solomon says in Proverbs 4 and verse 23, where Solomon says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. As a father, I got a responsibility to help protect the hearts of my children. I got to protect my heart and I got to protect their heart. If I'm going to do like David urges Solomon to do and be a man, I got to love my family. I got to truly love my family. I got to do the kinds of things for my family that God expects me to do. I got to lead my family like Jesus leads his family, the church. You know, we, we don't have enough time to do this this morning. We may do it in another sermon in the future. But my friends, if you study the New Testament very carefully, you see that Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the perfect example of a man, a real man. When you study Jesus very carefully, you see that he is the perfect example of a man who showed real love for his family. You see, when it comes to his family, which is the church, the Bible says that Jesus, he provides real spiritual leadership for his people. John chapter 10 and verse 3. Jesus loves and he nurtures his people. Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus sacrifices even his life for his family. Mark 10, 45. Jesus protects his people. Jesus serves his people. John chapter 13. Jesus even teaches and disciplines his people through his word. Jesus does everything that is necessary to show real love for his family. And I believe we have men in this room who are striving to be like Jesus when it comes to this. I believe that here we have some good men, some real men who understand that they must love God and they must love their families. But then a the third thing, a third thing that a man must do if he's going to be a real man in the eyes of God is thoroughly, he's also going to have to practice some self-control. He's going to have to practice some self-control in Galatians. Galatians 5 and verse 23, the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5 and verse 23, Paul says that in addition to love and joy and peace, another fruit of the Spirit is self-control. we got to have self-control. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 6, Peter says that in addition to adding to our faith virtue and knowledge, we also need to add to our faith what? Self-control. And then look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 7, Paul says to the young preacher Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity or a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. The idea of discipline there is self-control. It's the idea of self-discipline. A servant of God must have some self-discipline. 
He's got to have some self-discipline. And let's just be honest about it. It's hard to have that, isn't it? It's hard to have self-discipline. It's especially hard for men to have self-discipline. I mean, due to all the various passions we have in our lives, it's hard to, to bring those passions under control. It's hard to subdue those passions. It's hard to conquer and even suppress those, those passions. It's hard to do that. It's hard to bring our passions under control. The easier thing for us to do is just to give in to the passions, right? Give in to the anger and lash out in an ungodly way whenever somebody makes us mad. Give in to the lust and look at whatever we want to look at on, on the internet. Give in to the adultery. Give in to the materialism. Give in to the swearing and the cussing. Give in to just anything we want to do regardless of how God feels about it. You see, for most men, they live their lives with absolutely no self-control. In fact, for some men, they even live their lives believing that having a life like that, having a life with no self-control, that's an attribute of manhood. That's macho. That's tough. If a man wants to be a real man, then he doesn't need to have any self-control. He just needs to be like the angry guy in the movie who just kills whoever he wants whenever, whenever somebody makes him mad. He needs to be like the basketball players who just curse out the refs whenever a call doesn't go their way. He needs to be like Wilt Chamberlain. You know who Wilt Chamberlain is? Stan, you know who Wilt Chamberlain is. Wilt Chamberlain was a basketball player who played Sorry about this, Stan. Way, way, way before my time. <laughs> he played way before my time. He seemed to play back in a time where they had peach baskets for a goal, but he is considered to be one of the greatest basketball players in the history of the game. He is considered to be one of the greatest scorers in the history of the game. He is the only person to score 100 points in an NBA game. He was a great scorer. In fact, not only was he a great scorer when it came to basketball, but based on what he had said about himself, he also was someone who had a lot of women. He had a lot of women. In his, bi in his biography, which is called A View From Above, Will Chamberlain boasted about having sex with 20,000 women. Try to get your mind wrapped around that for just a second. 20,000 women. He actually believed that the world needs to know that. He actually felt that that's something to be proud of. He actually felt that's something worth bragging about. He failed to understand that any fool can be promiscuous. Any fool can sleep around. Any fool can defile himself and defile other people's bodies, but it takes a real man to practice some self-control. It takes a real man to get married to the woman he loves and be faithful to her. It takes a real man to be humble before God 
and surrender completely to the will of God and bring all of his passions under the obedience and control of Jesus Christ. These are the kinds of things that real men do. Not boys, not just males, but real men. Real men love God. Real men love their families. Real men practice self-control. May God bless every man here in this room who's striving to do these things. May God bless all the husbands in the room who are trying to do these things. May God bless all the fathers in the room who are trying to do these things. May God bless all the wives of these men who are trying to do these things. May God help the wives of these men to submit to their godly leadership. And be the kind of wife that God has called them to be. Be the kind of helpmate God has called them to be. May God bless these men's wives and may God also bless their children. May God bless all the sons in this room to strive to be like their godly daddies. May God bless all the daughters in this room to strive to marry men who will lead them and treat them like their fathers are hopefully treating their mothers in the right way. May God use every man who's striving to do these things in the local churches that they are part of to be the best servants that they can be for Jesus Christ and also their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, unfortunately, we're living in a time when real men are lacking. Have you noticed that? Real men are becoming like dinosaurs. They're becoming extinct. They're lacking in our society. They're lacking in our homes. They're becoming unrecognizable in our culture. But let us strive to rise above. Let's rise above our culture. Let's rise above our society. Let's understand that God's model for manhood is the best one, and it's the only one that really matters. It's the only one that really counts. In fact, maybe there's somebody here this morning and you know that you have not even become, been coming close to being the kind of man that God has called you to be. Or maybe there's somebody here this morning and you recognize that you have not even been coming close to being the kind of woman that God has called you to be. You know, another attribute of a servant of God is humility. It's humility before God. It is recognizing when we mess up at times, when we're living in sin, and we need to seek God's forgiveness. And so if there's someone here this morning who needs to do that, whether you are male or female, if you need to seek God's forgiveness through repentance, or if you need to do like those two precious souls did earlier and obey the gospel through faith and repentance and baptism, whatever you must do to surrender yourself to Jesus Christ, let us help you with that right here and right now. Let's stand. Let's sing.